this morning follows the first one and it comes from Acts chapter 2 verses 36 to 47. Peter had addressed the crowd and then he said, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord, our God, will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to everyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And may the Lord open our understanding to this precious passage of word and show us what our response should be. Thank you. Um, thank you, Dorothy, for reading God's word to us this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the great privilege and honor of being in this place today. We thank you for your grace and mercy extended to each of us. And for the privilege and honor of opening your word and having it read and explained. Our Lord, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit will do his work here, Lord, for the glory of our God. Our Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that you would give me the power of your Holy Spirit to continue this ministry of preaching and proclamation of your word. That you would forgive me, Lord, my sins. And I thank you for the deep honor that you've entrusted to me, Lord, to share your precious word with your precious people. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends. What a joy it is for us every Sunday to meet together as God's people, to sing His praises, to enjoy the fellowship with each other. I trust that it is a day that we will indeed give thanks to God and rejoice for all that He is 
to us. Well, let me begin with a question, which is in fact the sermon, the message title for today. What is a model church? What is a model church? What comes up in your mind when you think about this question, what is a model church? What does it really look like? What's the pulse beat of a model church? I'm sure, I'm almost confident that each one of us here this morning have some kind of idea as to what a model church should look like. All right? Um, Where is it the building? What about the carpets? What about the color of the carpets? Is that important? Music. Well, that's important. What's a model church? What does it actually look like? What's the pulse beat of a model church? So when we think about church, we can come up with all kinds of ideas. For example, we think of church as a community of people meeting together. We meet together when we assemble. It's a place we meet on Sundays. We think of church as perhaps an institution For example, we are part of the Presbyterian Church of Australia. Perhaps it's a place where we connect with others and build relationships with one another as well. And that happens, doesn't it? And so this word church in the New Testament never refers to a building or to a place. Sometimes we say we go to church. Well... Time work that one out. We don't really go to church because we meet as a church. I can understand that when we say we go to church. We're referring to a building as well. But really in the New Testament, this word church never refers to a building or a place. It always refers to a people. For example, in Ephesians chapter 1, 22 and 23, Paul says this, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the church is described as the body of Christ. We saw saw that with the kids talk this morning, the bride of Christ, the people of God. That's what the church is. In this sense, we have the church as a universal body of believers. But in the New Testament, the word church is also used to refer to a group of believers in a particular city or place, or in a particular house. We have some examples of this. In Acts chapter 11, verse 22, it refers to the church in Jerusalem. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it refers to the church of God, which is at Corinth. In 1 Thessalonians, it is addressed to the church of the Thessalonians. In 1 Corinthians 16, and verse 19, the churches of Asia sends greetings to Aquila and Priscilla together with the church in their house send you hearty greetings in the Lord. In Colossians we read again of the church in a particular place. So we can say we meet as a church here at Surrey Hills. (laughs) The church that gathers on the corner of Canterbury Road and Wargal Roads. We meet here. The church meets here. 
If Paul was writing today to this church, he will say to the saints gathered at St. Stephen's, I mean, not Presbyterian, but St. Stephen's church in Surrey Hills. So we are God's people here. And so what kind of blueprint do we have for the church? We sang this morning, the church's one foundation. Anybody wants to complete it? Is Jesus Christ our Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. So that's the church. A gathering of God's people. From every language, nation and tribe. We have, for example, here I said previously, nearly 23 to 24 different people groups gathered in this place called the Church of God in Christ Jesus. And so this morning, as we continue to focus on the effects of Pentecost, that was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the, in the book of Acts chapter 2, we get a picture of what I believe is a model church. This by no means is the only passage, I must say this, that gives us a script or a blueprint for the church community, but it does show us what the spirit-filled community values most and how they manage to maintain the balance in ministry within this church community. And as I hope to look at this idea as to this question, what is a model church? We are just going to base our text today on Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. I was wanting to work through the whole passage, but it's quite a substantial passage, so I am... Uh-uh. Yeah. <laughs> That's part of the church, isn't it? Wonderful. All right. So we, uh, we have here in our text here, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Now, let me give you the context here. We have been working, for those who are visiting with us this morning, we have been working our way through Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. Parts of Acts chapter 1, actually, and certainly Acts chapter 2 in the last few weeks in our morning services. And here in Acts chapter 2, we have the story of the Pentecost, that is, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And if one was to make a broad division of this chapter, very quickly, Acts chapter 2, we could divide it into three broad sections. We have the event which was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. We have the explanation of that event, where Peter takes us to the book of Joel and says, Brothers and sisters, this is what the, this is what the prophet Joel prophesied that God was going to pour out his Spirit. And then we have the effects of Pentecost. And so here in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit, as promised, is poured out. And Peter explained this event in the light of the Old Testament. And then he preached a sermon. And Peter's sermon went to all those who had gathered in Jerusalem. And Peter preached a sermon and he constructed this sermon very well. It brought within its structure the Old Testament. And Peter brought his hearers along with him. It's a good homiletical lesson for preachers. To bring your people with you. When a preacher stands here, when I stand here and I see your faces, and I say, oh, what's going on there? <laughs> Am I communicating? 
Are the people really listening? What's going on in their minds? Sometimes our minds can wander away, right? It happens. Let's, let's be honest about it. It just goes away for a moment. And yet Peter brought his people along with him. He, he spoke of the essence of the gospel, if you want to put it that way. He spoke of the crucifixion of Jesus as God's foreordained plan. And he saw, and we saw last time, the paradox. That is, that God had foreordained Jesus to be crucified, but there were wicked men who were part of that process. And somehow, in God's providence, this paradox takes place. And then Peter says that Jesus was crucified, he died. And then Peter says to them that he resurrected from the dead, and they were witnesses of the risen Jesus fulfilling Psalm 16 spoken by David. And then he brings Psalm 110 and he says nearly thousand years before this event happened, Jesus was, it was prophesied that Jesus would be taken up to heaven fulfilling Psalm 110. And then he concluded this message by reminding them of something else. It's very crucial here. Yeah? We need to keep that in mind. Let, the, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Lord and Christ is reminding Israel that the Messiah, the promised one, has now come. And he has died. And he has been raised from the dead. And he has been taken up to heaven. And now, this Messiah is both Christ, the anointed one, and is also curious, that is, he is Lord. The connection for the Jewish people. So when the people heard this sermon, what did they do? They said, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter responded, repent and be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. And the result was, how many people? Come on, tell me, how many people believe? 3,000. Wow, one hit man. What a thing that would have been for Peter. 3,000 people converted in one hit by God's grace through his Holy Spirit. And what happens next is what we have here in this passage in Acts chapter 2 verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You see, he formed his body, called out those of his own choosing, and brought them together to form this New Testament church. When we say about the church, the called out ones, I want to make this statement I was reading some commentaries on this. God's people existed from the time of Abraham right, right through the Old Testament times. Right? So the church was there, the elect of God's people. Certainly in the New Testament, we have the, the outpouring of the Spirit in a, in a more substantial way that other nations are brought in as well. You see? And so the first church which gathered by the power of the Holy Spirit was a big church. As we see in Acts chapter 2, there were 3,000 people who were converted after Peter's sermon. And you had the 120 people on top of that, who had met prior to Pentecost. There was a congregation of a membership of how many? 3,120. Wow. <laughs> Imagine that, eh? What an excitement it must have been to be part of this new church plant. You have a brand new believers, brand new Christians. What an amazing work of God's grace they had understood the Old Testament, but now they've understood who Christ was. And this was a big congregation. Imagine what would happen if, by God's grace, if 3,000 people are added to 
the church here at St. Stephen's. Our membership now at the moment, I think it's about 180, 82, around that amount. I stand to be corrected. We'll have an instant congregation of 3,180 people. Will we be able to cope with it? Will you be able to cope with it? Will you be praying that we will be able to have these 3,120 people or 80 people in this congregation? Come on, tell me. Would you be praying that God will raise thousands of people in this church who would love Jesus Christ and serve him? Aha. It's important for us to hear that, isn't it? Or will we say to God, well, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, that's, that's a bit too big. We really can't handle that, God. Just keep us uh, nice and cozy, a small little church. Be fine. I wonder what the people here in Acts chapter 2 thought about it for a moment. I mean, they were 120, suddenly become 3,120 people. How are they going to handle this? What a big issue it must have been for the leadership of that church. Man, if that was to happen here, we would know, we'll have to have 10 services. I'm just saying. You see, there are big congregations, friends. I have the joy and privilege of visiting the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama, in the U.S., 5,000 people in that congregation. I met at one of their services and I was amazed the number of people who were there. And I was so excited to be part of a congregation that was doing great work. Now, we're not saying size is the only thing that matters. But here in this passage, this is what happened. God brought an instant congregation. 3,120 people. How did they manage? How exciting that perhaps would have been for them. How did they manage? Well, there were some things they put in place. Look at your text. They devoted themselves to four things here. Important that we see this. To the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And they devoted themselves to the prayers. So the word devoted is this word which means persistent. Which means passionate. It means commitment. It means you are focused on this one thing. Did you watch the Socceroos uh, play yesterday morning? The soccer. Did you watch that match? When I was there with a few other people. We were watching it and each time, and did you watch the news as well? You know, each time Australia was getting close to a goal, you could see the emotions of the people. They're doing this, doing that. They're doing all kinds of things, right? The emotions are carried with every move that's being made. And when, you know, we lost, of course, 3-1. That's not too bad. But for the Dutch, I think they, didn't, they did quite well. I know my wife's very happy. She's, she's excited about it. I'm sure other Dutch people here as well. But you saw the passion of these people. They are devoted. <laughs> they are devotees of the soccer. They are out there with all their passion, with their yellow and all of these things, because they are devoted to see these wonderful soccer matches. And I think soccer is a fantastic sport. I'm, I'm actually getting into it. And I'm looking forward to going to see Geelong play very soon. With those free tickets. I mean, how good is that? No, no, that's not soccer, that's footy, by the way. Sorry. The point is this. <laughs> we are devoted. Some people are devoted. They're passionate about these things, right? The devotees. See, Paul says, I mean, Luke is saying here, in, in, in this book here, that they devoted themselves, these new converts, 
God's people here devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. You see, the, the apostles regarded teaching as their main responsibility. And the question might be asked this morning, what was the content of their teaching? You see, the content of their teaching can be gleaned, I believe, from the book of Acts. The apostles focused their teaching on, I believe, and look at the book of Acts in its totality, I think we see this picture that comes out. It points us to the Old Testament and its connection to the New Testament. For example, in Acts chapter 2, the Psalms are referred to, pointing to the, in particular to the Jews the fact that Jesus was the promised Messiah. The apostles taught about the life of Jesus. The apostles taught about the death of Jesus. They taught the people of the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, the need to repent of their sins. And these were some of the central, core teaching components of apostolic teaching. And so we have today the Word of God. See, at the time, the Bible was not yet fully written. They didn't have the Bible in terms of what we have, the New Testament today. But the apostles' doctrine and teaching was the Word of God. And so they were... Teaching church, devoted to the apostles' doctrine. There was teaching in this church. There was learning in this church. There was a spiritual hunger for the word of God. And God's word was important. And when the church gathers, why do you think we preach? (laughs) Ask John, myself, other preachers here. I mean, how many hours we... (laughs) People say to us, oh, ministers, you've got a good life. You only work on Sundays, right? You heard that joke? You haven't? Well, I'm sharing it with you this morning. <laughs> ministers only work on Sundays. Oh, I wish. I was thinking about this last week and thought, wow, the PTC will be lined up with so many guys that so they will have to turn them back if you have got to work just for one day. <laughs> Ask any preacher and they will tell you how many hours we put behind sitting behind our desk and struggling with the text and trying to work it out and trying to see how to communicate this passage, exegeting our text and bringing God's word to you. (laughs) Because we love the Lord and we love God's people. And so we bring this word because this is the word of God. That when you come into this church here at St. Stephen's, I pray and there has been the practice in the past year with previous ministers like um, the past, the Reverend David Dinas. The word of God has been central in this church's life. And you should get the teaching from the scriptures. Because it is God's word. And so we share this word. We share it in our growth groups. We ask you to come and join a growth group so that you can learn the word of God. We teach it to our kids. We teach it to our young people with the book of Jonah at the moment. We teach it in our growth groups because it is God's word. And how precious is this word for you and for me. How precious it is for us to be able to read the word of God and to have it explained freely in this place. It doesn't happen in other places. Other countries. It's hard. And we have this word. And this word speaks You see, God's word, in fact, the prophet Isaiah says this, isn't it? For uh, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return, they are but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me 
empty. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God is saying through this prophet, my word will achieve its purpose. (laughs) My word will achieve its purpose. It is never wasted. It is always invested. And it is invested in lives. And God's word impacts and it changes and it transforms and it brings joy to the soul and peace to the heart because God speaks to us in the word. When Jesus was tempted, what did he say to Satan? What did he say to Satan? The answer is, it is, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, God has spoken and is speaking today. The question for you and me is, are we listening? (laughs) That's the question. Why would I believe this word? Why would I believe this? Why, 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 why? Because we believe it in faith, but we also say historical fact connected with Christ. (laughs) So it's rational as well. So what's a model church? It is a church that is Bible-based. It is a church that takes the word of God seriously. But further, friends, we see that uh, this church had something else going for it. Further, we see that this new church in Jerusalem devoted themselves to something else, to fellowship. See, this was a big congregation, 3,120 people, and the text says that they devoted themselves to fellowship. And you might ask the question, if it is such a big congregation, how is it possible for us to know one another? How is it possible? Fellowshipping. That's how you're going to get to know each other. That's how it happened. Look at what happened here. This, this, this koinonia, that's the idea that's here in this word. That's the word actually that's been used. It means to being together. The basic idea of fellowship is that of sharing or partnership with one another. And so they met together, they ministered to one another, and this is noted as to how they treated one another. They shared with each other. If you look at the text, and we'll expand on that next time, they shared with the needs of others. They were concerned for the others around them. And so today we meet as Christians, we fellowship with one another by simply being around one another. I was reading a commentary that said, oh, sometimes Christians think that if they go for a party, if they go for a party, sure, you go for parties, right? And you go for a party and you don't read a Bible passage there and you don't pray, that's not fellowship. (laughs) This guy says that's wrong. (laughs) As Christians, you can meet in any context, you can meet in a cafe, have a latte and still have fellowship, right? Because you're connecting, you're connecting with one another. And what a joy it is. To be able to connect with people, to be able to talk to one another, to be able to enjoy that fellowshipping with each other and to connect. And so we see here that fellowship can happen anywhere. It can happen with just two people or in a large setting when Christians meet up together. It is a fellowshipping time. It's a sharing. It's a partnering. It is an in, uh, it's a connecting with one another. So they got together and they fellowship with one another. That's why in the book of Hebrews it says this, 
Let us consider how we may, how may, how we may do what? Uh-huh. Can someone read it? Anyone? How we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. What else? Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing so. But encouraging one another. Do you see that picture? Spurring. What does it mean to spur one another? When is the last time you kind of encourage one another and say, wow, man. If you're a lady, you'll say, well, anyway, it doesn't matter. Just say, wow, I want to just encourage you. I want to spur you on with your gifts. I want to just encourage you in your walk with Christ. I don't want to be a wet blanket that puts a wet blanket on everything that you come up with. I want to be a spurrer on. I want to be an encourager on. I want to encourage you in your faith. Because the day of the Lord is coming. And so when we meet on Sundays, and I have a mental picture of, generally speaking, of everyone who is here on a Sunday. I go home, I count the numbers, I see, not the numbers, I count how many people have not been there. Where have they been? Where have they been? Where are they? I know where you sit, generally speaking. Sometimes you confuse me as well. (laughs) I look around and say, oh, so-and-so wasn't there. And last time I spoke to one young guy on Sunday, we had a big congregation, by the way, last Sunday morning, this young guy, he wasn't there in church in the morning. I said, I missed you this morning. He said, oh, how did you know that? I said, I just knew it. <laughs> we, 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 you see, the point is, I'm not keeping a register, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'm marking your attendance. No, no, no. It's a pastoral heart. It's a pastoral concern. And since John will do it, I will do it because we love and care for you. And so we encourage people to come on the Lord's Day, to be here. To celebrate, to fellowship, to spur one another on, to encourage each other. It's a commitment, isn't it? I was speaking to someone yesterday. So it's, uh, I hope I got this pronunciation right. I think it is. It's Stabo. Is that how we pronounce it? Stabo? Or Stabo? Whatever you want to call it. Right? I got this phrase from John. So you can ask him. Right? I think it goes, stay till a better offer, right? Subject. Uh, subject. Okay, subject to a, so there you go, subject to a better offer. So you'll be at church, and you wait there for a little while and say, hmm, maybe somebody else is not for me. Subject to a better offer, something comes along, I'll go there. It's a commitment. It's fellowshipping. Coming together. Being committed. So that when you come, you're encouraging the other person next to you. When you come, you can spur the other person on. When you come, we can work together. When you come, we can celebrate God's grace together. When you come, we can grow together and be a strong, united body of Christ here at St. Stephen's. I am praying, friends, every day. This is my prayer for, for you. And when we meet with John, you can ask him. We pray for you every week. Whenever we meet together, we pray for you. Because our desire is to see God make this church a model church for the gospel of Christ. That we will see kingdom workers being raised here. The gospel of Christ going from this place to be a church that is dynamic and active for Christ through His Spirit. That's our prayer. And what a joy it is for us next Sunday. We look forward to the ordination of John. Second full-time minister in this congregation. Which we wouldn't have thought about when I started here about 12, nearly 11, 12 years ago. See how God has been good? <laughs> the fellowship of God's people. Further, 
Notice the text here. They also made, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. That is, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching the fellowship and the breaking of bread. Now the breaking of bread, now there are those who say that this is a reference to the Lord's Supper. And others argue that it is a reference to ordinary meals. There are others who say, and that's a very interesting one as well, that, uh, that there is a distinct possibility that it refers to both. <laughs> isn't that good? Some commentators are very good, isn't that? Play very safe. It refers to both. Well, I'm, I'm of that view as well. I think it refers to both because later on you see the breaking of bread in their homes. But certainly, friends, we can't deny the fact that the breaking of bread was also a significant part that is the Lord's Supper. I think that was taking place here as well. Right? The sacraments, Jesus instituted the sacrament of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper, what is it? When we take the Lord's Supper, what does it remind us of? Please? That's right. It reminds us of the death of Christ. We do this in remembrance of him who gave his life. You see, it reminded God's people when they broke the bread of the sacrifice of Jesus. At the cross. And a Christian is someone who knows this Christ has died for him on the cross. That all my sins are gone. There is no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And it encouraged this congregation as they took the Lord's Supper to remind themselves of God's amazing love for them and the sacrifice of his son at the cross. Yesterday was a tough day for, uh, for, for us, uh, for us and myself, emotionally that is. Uh, we attended a funeral service of one of my colleagues, one of our ministers who passed away. Some of us in the congregation were there. It's only 55 years. Died of cancer. Uh, a friend, a very faithful brother in Christ, uh, was the minister at Epping. It was sad. I was the minister at Reservoir at the time and moderator of Epping. And by God's grace, I was instrumental in bringing Tony to the Epping congregation. It broke my heart. It, 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 broke, it broke us within ourselves to see a brother gone just like that 55, I mean 55 years. But you know what struck me most was <laughs> that our Savior Jesus Christ has conquered the grave. No matter what happens, heaven is the place for God's people. You see what I'm saying? The cross. So they broke bread. And then, further friends, they also would have shared bread together. And we'll talk about that next time, the hospitality side of things. And then they devoted themselves to the prayers. Look at your text. They devoted themselves to the prayers. The plural prayers implies that these were regular prayers. That could be at set times of the Jerusalem temple, which the disciples attended, or perhaps they prayed on their own. Luke does not tell us what private or communal prayers that are in view here. But this could be a reference to the traditional prayers that the Jews regularly recited. This could also be a reference to the Lord's Prayer. You see, they devoted themselves to praying. Paul says in Colossians, devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful. Friends, I want to encourage us to be a praying church. Do you pray? Don't answer me. <laughs> Do we pray for the work of the church? Do we pray for one another? 
we have a prayer chain that goes out. Uh, Dawn is our, uh, is, handles that side of things. You know, we ought to be a praying church. You see, God answers prayer, does he not? Yeah? Come on, tell me, yeah. Amen to that. Our God answers prayer. And we approach this throne of grace in confidence with the power of Jesus. Saying, Lord, we bring our prayers to you. And I want to encourage us to be a praying people, friends. To be really praying. And this congregation met and they devoted themselves to prayer. You see the disciples. Prayer was very important in the book of Acts. I'll give you some examples. The disciples waited in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And they were praying. Acts chapter 1. They prayed during the election of the twelfth apostle. Acts chapter 1. The healing of a lame man at one of the temple gates happened in connection with the prayer routines of the church leaders. Acts chapter 3 verse 1. The reaction of the Jerusalem church to external pressure and God's intervention was prayer. Acts chapter 4. Prayer belonged to the fundamental priorities of the leadership of the church. Acts chapter 6. The mission in Samaria was accompanied by prayer. Acts chapter 8. And the conversion of Saul was linked with prayer. Acts chapter 9. The New Testament church was undergirded by prayer. So four things as we conclude. <laughs> what have we seen this morning? Here was a model church. Grew from 120 to 3,120 people. God did a great work here. God brought the additions. How did they manage this? What was the model as, that they adopted here? This, as I said, this is not the only script for, as a model church. certainly gives us some ideas. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Word. They devoted themselves to fellowshipping with one another. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Lord's Supper and perhaps hospitality. And they devoted themselves to prayer. And if you look at this church, look at this passage, which we'll look at next time. Amazing things happen here. <laughs> Actually, this church, the next sermon title could be, I was looking at this passage yesterday as well. And I was discussing this passage at the funeral with one of my friends. And I said, maybe, Chris, the sermon title should be The Multiplying Church. <laughs> the Multiplying Church. Because you look at the end of Acts chapter 2, and that's what we see there, isn't it? The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. <laughs> The Lord did it. Friends, what kind of church are we? What's the kind of model do we want for St. Stephen's? I pray today that we will be a church that is word-based, strong in fellowship with one another, breaking bread, communion and sharing with each other, and praying for one another. Four things for us to work on this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are our God. We thank you that you are building your church. We thank you that in your faithfulness, in your mercy, that you have brought us to this congregation, to this your church gathered here today. Lord, we pray that we will be a strong church, Lord. Devoted to the word of God. Devoted to the fellowship of its people. Devoted, Lord, to the breaking of bread. The Lord's Supper, the reminds of the sacrifice of Jesus and to sharing. 
and devoted to prayers. Keep us strong in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.